Welcome to the Soul of Islam radio podcast with Ahmed Saqamini and Neil Ehsan Alexander Tarabi. The Islamic Renaissance is here and now. May the peace, the mercy, the blessings, and the light of the divine be upon you all. My name is Ahmed, and I'm a physicist, a poet, and deeply committed to sharing the fundamental connection between science and spirituality with our community and beyond. Ehsan is a spiritual coach, writer, and speaker committed to the evolution of consciousness within the global community. You are listening to the Soul of Islam radio podcast. It is a weekly program dedicated to sharing the deeper dimension of Islam and supporting your personal growth and spiritual development. I am Ahmed, and I'm here with my good friend and brother, Ihsan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. It's wonderful to be here with you guys, and we have a very special guest today. Today's podcast is on music. Specifically, it's used as a tool for entertainment and entrainment, its connection to humanity and its purpose and place in spirituality. We will also touch upon the phenomenon known as the cult of personality and how it arises amongst modern-day secular and non-secular musicians who use their art to create a worshipful image that feeds ego consciousness. So in this episode, we will interview Ahmed Piersdorf of Sans5.com. He's not only a dear friend and brother of ours, but he is a primal musician and vocalist, a former rock star, a revivalist of communal music, and is experienced with various percussion instruments from hand drums to cajones to bass drums and more. He holds regular community drum circles where he teaches the use of percussion instruments and guides the participants in combining drum and voice to create a collective spiritual experience. His Sans5 EP titled What They Took is out now and available on Sans5.com. He's also a student of Islamic spirituality and is an RN currently working as a hospice nurse. Brother Ihsan and I are very pleased and excited to have him here with us today. Brother Ahmed, assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Soul of Islam Radio. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakumullahu khairs. Thank you so much for uh, having me. Alhamdulillah, Brother Ahmed, this is a session that's long overdue. We've been looking forward to having you on the program. And we've both truly enjoyed some of the drum circles that you've put together in the last year or so in the community here. MashaAllah, you have a wealth of wisdom when it comes to music as it relates to our culture as well as to our tradition. We're looking forward to this. Alhamdulillah. I am as well. Alhamdulillah. So, Brother Ahmed, I've also had the pleasure of being part of your drum circles. And and in those sessions, I became aware of your rootedness in music. I was able to see that you had developed a uh, structured method or approach to understanding and appreciating primal music. And you made it possible for all of us to participate and to quickly become immersed in the experience. MashaAllah. So to start us off, could you tell us about how and when you developed your interest in music? Yeah, absolutely. I think music, for the most part, was a, a, a passive experience. There wasn't any intention around my exposure, uh, my initial exposures. Growing up, I was exposed to the musical tastes of uh, my father, which inclined towards uh, jazz and country and blues, and uh, the musical taste of my mother, which inclined more in the direction of the uh, folk revival, uh, was still um, still hitting the AM radio airwaves in the uh, 70s, which is uh, which is when I was born. And uh, so that was the soundscape that I grew up in, and there wasn't really any conscious drive in the direction of musical expression until much, much later. When I was a teenager, my parents had split up, and that's that's not an incidental piece of information. The 
turbulence of adolescence is only compounded in a home that has been torn asunder by marital discord. And so what happens is that drive to solace is really, really powerful. So without anything to hang my hat on, um, when I became exposed through, I don't know, what we might call typical high school channels to music that articulated my sense of alienation, that's when there was a very intentional uh, move in the direction of music. So there were there were kids at school that were angry and that were disaffected and that were rebellious and i was certainly feeling that way and friendships with uh, similarly conditioned uh, kids led to exposure to music that was angry and rebellious and disaffected and that was that was a very powerful experience hearing my truth articulated by other artists And so at that point, music became a therapeutic tool. The music that I was exposed to was not music that uh, that might be found on um, conventional radio channels. And so there was effort around finding that music, around obtaining the music, around sorting through lyrical content. There was a lot of work involved, and that kind of discovery uh, led to opening after opening after opening. It wasn't long after having been exposed to that music that I wanted to make uh, music. And and this was uh, facilitated by my my mother, who um, decided to trade me uh, a guitar for good grades. So we made that deal. And um, I'm pretty sure I reneged, but I got my guitar. Uh, it was It was offered up in advance. So for for parents out there, recognize what you may be enabling. In any event, uh, I got my guitar and started playing around with that, and that led to meeting other people with guitars and other instruments and starting up garage bands. And all of this is around 15, 16, 17 years of age. By the time uh, I was in college, I was in a, uh, I was in a band uh, that was playing all of the local venues. Uh, I was living in Riverside, California at the time. We were developing a following. We signed uh, an independent record deal in the area. Uh, we released a six-song EP, a 10-song um, full-length album. And at, uh, at some points, now in my mid-20s, the magic, if you will, of music um, began to wear off. There were other elements that were starting to creep into the experience of making music that uh, led to a change in direction. Ahmed, you talk about music as a form of therapy, particularly for someone in their youth or in their adolescence that's dealing with stress, which is now a little too common in our contemporary mm-hmm. culture. Would you feel at this point that that type of escape is particularly healthy or in fact really therapeutic? And also... Maybe you could speak a little bit more about your personal evolution with regards to your feelings towards that type of entertainment or activity. Yeah, you, you use you use interesting language. Uh, you you framed uh, the the experience of music as escape. That's not how it started. It it, it started with intentional engagement. Um, there was a high degree of consciousness around. Again, uh, seeking, finding, and sorting through the material, uh, learning about the musicians. This is all pre-internet, right? So, I mean, there was real effort involved. We actually had hard, you know, at that time, it was cassette tapes and LPs and, and things like this. And uh, so, so you, you collected these things. They became near and dear to you. There were communities uh, that would uh, form around uh, various artists and so it was a very it was a very active, um, engaging phenomena. However, as I spent more time with it, the the reality of escape being a an omnipresent danger in the in in when when one engages with music became more and more apparent. So, as a performer, uh, you see people coming out to your shows. You see how they choose to conduct themselves, how they choose to engage the artists, how they choose to carry themselves, and uh, all of the paraphernalia that goes along with attending a live show. 
people were enhancing the escapist experience of music. Uh, a lot of a lot of our music was performed in places that uh, sold alcohol, for example. And it's the musician's job. It's the musician's job to sell drinks. That's the only reason they have you there at the venue. And and so you lose a lot of energy as you're performing songs that meant a lot to you in terms of creating them. And you wanted to share that experience with people. And you find that you're really just a sonic backdrop for a lot of other empty shenanigans. And so it wasn't long before I recognized how the music was being consumed. And, and I, think, I, think that's, I think that's an appropriate word. And I began to have misgivings about my uh, providing that kind of fodder uh, for consumption. To touch on another point, the stress and, and the need for moving away from life as it is typically experienced into an alternative experience, uh, I think is a very real one. I, I think the best music, and, and, and uh, a friend of mine who, who makes a lot of uh, hip-hop uh, music, you know, he, he, he sensitized me to the fact that in articulating struggle, that becomes the real magnet uh, for people to engage uh, with the music in a more profound way, in a more meaningful way. And so I think the need to articulate struggle is a very, very real one. What I think we need to spend more time considering is how we're going to bring that articulation of struggle to the ears of those who would appreciate it in a way that engages them holistically and doesn't render them passive consumers of a sonic backdrop while they work to escape uh, the struggle that's, that's being articulated. So you speak about engaging the, the audience, and from what I have seen uh, from your drum circles is that you did it in a way where you created an immersive experience where uh, everyone became a participant in the piece or the performance. And uh, you also mentioned your friend who is a hip-hop artist, and he was able to engage his audience just by the content. So the engagement was more mental, more intellectual. Uh, from my experience, I found that engaging the audience would be done also on a mental or intellectual level, but on a spiritual level. Could you speak a little bit about creating the immersive experience that would engage the audience on all frontiers, on all levels, on all dimensions? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a great thing to think about, and and what's interesting is that we are thinking about it. In other words, there was a time uh, in in the history of humanity where this was this was so automatic that that even to articulate it uh, would have been thought uh, silly. So if we think about and and you've used the term primal music, it's 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 a term that I use, and I'd, I'd like to spend a minute um, uh, fleshing that that idea out. Um, there are various theories as to how music developed, and, 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 and nobody really knows for sure. But there is every reason uh, to suspect that um, music, uh, when first experienced on, on a communal level, was essentially rhythmic. So if you can imagine uh, our ancestors a long time ago, perhaps uh, working at um, uh, cracking some seeds or some nuts, and uh, you've got uh, you've got this woman over here, and she's banging away, uh, and you've got a woman over there, and she's banging away, and and uh, and what happens when you have a bunch of people uh, banging away? Uh, there's this idea of entrainment, where those uh, that pounding will sync up. And, and so you can imagine a, a community of people working, for example, of producing some food or some meal or some grain, collectively in training and producing this rhythmic cadence. The rhythmic cadence uh, then energizes the work that they are doing, and, and you have now a communal experience of, of music. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to then move that primal scene to one where not only they're banging, perhaps somebody is humming, perhaps uh, uh, several people are humming, uh, perhaps they stumble across this uh, idea of harmony accidentally. And with each new addition, which he, with each new sonic addition, the work becomes lighter, it becomes more lively, the community becomes more united, and they may be experiencing uh, labor in a way that is uh, uh, considerably less grueling than it was 
was uh, before. So, so th- this is the idea of of primal music. It, it, it is a communal experience where all participants uh, are 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 activated. Uh, either they are producing rhythm, either they are producing melody, either they are moving. Uh, along with the music. And certainly hearts and minds are captivated as well. So the primal music experience uh, ideally would, would, uh, would uh, capture all of these elements. And, and I'm really, really happy to say that that model is alive and well in many parts of the world uh, today. Uh, we have to recognize that the current paradigm uh, in which music is experienced is relatively new. And we're not talking much more than a hundred years now uh, when the uh, gramophone was invented and now all of a sudden music could be recorded. Music is a very isolating experience uh, today. Uh, it's, 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 it's the absolute antithesis, the polar opposite of what it once was in terms of the functions that it offered humanity. Now it's something that is uh, downloaded, uh, stockpiled, uh, piped in through tiny little earbuds, and uh, you could be sitting in a room with five different people, each person completely checked out in their own little sonic world. So it's this incredibly isolating paradigm. I've even heard, I remember reading an interview of, um, is it Jack White's from the White Stripes? Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't follow these things as closely as I once did. But, but anyway, I, I remember him saying that even, even the audiences it shows in his words, the audiences suck. And, and he was asked, well, why do they suck? And he says, well, they, you know, because they don't even clap. They've got their iPhones in their hands. They're, they're taking selfies. Even, even that relatively passive level of engagement between the audience and the performer, the clapping, the cheering, even that has diminished. And everybody's, uh, so many people are participating in music in this very, very isolated way. So, yes, to engage the senses, to engage the various levels of consciousness, uh, to engage one's physicality, one's sense of rhythm and melody uh, in community is really the goal of primal music. And it's not about coming up with anything new. It's about bringing folks back around uh, to that original and uh, still extant uh, paradigm. And we absolutely see this uh, in the world's uh, mystical traditions. Uh, we come, of course, from the Islamic tradition, and the Sufis are no no lightweights when it comes to communal music, whether it's group dhikr, whether it's uh, something a bit more elaborate like the hadra, the idea of, of, uh, of Muslims coming together, bringing their voices together in unison, locking together in, in, in rhythm. That is a, a healthy entrainment that leads to this idea, ideally, of hudur or, or presence. Uh, and in, uh, in, the, in the parlance of the Sufis, presence uh, with the divine. So, you know, getting back to Brother Ahsan's uh, earlier comment about music as escapism, yeah, it can be that. It can be that. But what I've just described is, is, is something else altogether. Uh, and I feel like that model is something that we need to spend a lot more time thinking about uh, and, and, and that's exactly what I am trying to do, inshallah ta'ala, with, uh, with primal music. Thank you for that. I just want to revisit the concept of entrainment. It felt like it is a way for us as human beings to tap into or maybe catch onto a metronome that is only felt inside. Mm. And it forces us to come together, to beat to the same rhythm, and to experience something internally. And if we were to look at entrainment uh, on one end of the spectrum, could entertainment be on the other end? Mm. Because entertainment, especially in today's world, is a way to escape, just like Brother Hassan said, is a way to forget, is a way to numb ourselves and introduce unawareness of reality. That's a, that's a fascinating way of looking at things. I, I'm not sure that I would put entrainment on one end of, this, of the uh, scale and entertainment on the other. And, and the reason I wouldn't, and, and I, we, we come from a tradition where music holds uh, a, a dubious place. Uh, there have been um, uh, wonderful scholarly arguments, uh, both in favor of, of uh, musical instruments um, uh, uh, also uh, uh, in, 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 in support of the idea that musical instruments um, uh, are not permissible. 
And, and I think it's because, you know, so much of the experience relies or is dependent rather on the context, the state of the people involved. These are absolute uh, factors uh, that have to be considered in, in, in a discussion around, around music. So entrainment, as I've described it uh, in, in the context of primal music, uh, it's a positive thing, pulling people together, working for a singular cause, very, very positive thing. Entrainment uh, as a principle has also been uh, used uh, by the entertainment industry uh, to to control or manipulate the behavioral patterns of uh, of uh, of the population, and so uh, I don't have a television at home, and I don't know if these new uh, HD uh, TVs, uh, plasma screen, LCD, all of these things that are out. I, I don't know if they function in the same way. But when I when I had a television, the old cathode uh, ray television, um, you know, the, the flickering blue light uh, was was uh, a classic example of uh, visual entrainment. And that that pulsating light in a very particular rhythmic fashion would uh, absolutely massage the brain into a level of suggestibility that wouldn't be possible otherwise. And in that suggestible state, one commercial, one message after another uh, is lobbed at the uh, at the passive recipient. And so this is this is an idea of entrainment being used for really really underhanded, uh, uh, self-serving purposes. And on the other hand, entertainment. So entertainment as a kind of refreshment, entertainment as an energizing experience uh, that leaves you invigorated and inspired, uh, nothing, nothing bad can be said about that. Uh, we all need a good dose of refreshment. Uh, then there's entertainment, as Brother Ahsan mentioned, uh, that, that can be a, a kind of escape, uh, a chronic indulgence. And, and I, would, I, would, I would say that uh, people uh, who approach the world uh, with diminished consciousness are more than likely to fall into that latter experience of entertainment, uh, where it becomes distraction and it becomes um, uh, a form of escape time not well spent. So I'm not sure that, that I, what I would say about entertainment versus entrainment is um, it really depends on, on, on the context, but we should leverage what we know about these things uh, to avoid approaching them uh, uh, from one direction uh, and perhaps to, to facilitate embracing them from another direction. Inshallah ta'ala. So just to reiterate some of the points that have come up so far that you've brought to attention, Brother Ahmed, Historically, music developed as a primal experience that essentially fundamentally unified, created a sense of unity among the audience. There were, in fact, I don't know if there was an audience versus a performer. It was a, it was a one unified collective that was creating the music yeah. versus the modern paradigm, which is relatively new in which music has become fundamentally a solitary experience that rather than unite, separates and divides and again, isolates human beings and in a way that entrainment is used at the same time in that isolated state to create opportunities for suggestion, for marketing, mm. for programming, etc. Could you speak a little bit about the place of the primal music experience within Islamic culture, specifically with regards to the instruments that are used, the drums, which have historically had preeminence within the Islamic musical tradition? Yeah, no, thank you for asking. And, and uh, so when we talk about primal music, uh, at, least, uh, at least in the way that I, I practice it, I, I restrict myself to the use of drum and voice. And there's, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, the, the first thing is that primal music, in my view, needs to be really, really accessible and really, really possible. So uh, both of you uh, have been beautiful participants in uh, some of the drum circles that we've uh, shared in together. And, and uh, what, what happens each and every time is people approach the drum uh, never having picked up uh, a drum before. And within, within 10 minutes, and, and I, it's, it's a little wager that I make with the, the group uh, each and every time, and I, and I haven't lost yet, uh, within 10 minutes, uh, the entire group is is banging out a rhythm in, in perfect precision. And, and the energy and the excitement and the enthusiasm around that first initial simple rhythm 
it can never actually be reclaimed. I mean, we've we've met with uh, in drub circles subsequent to that and done things that are more complicated, and that's always interesting. But that first moment when a group comes together and picks up those drums and and sees how their uh, their contribution lines up with the contributions of everybody else, and all of a sudden it's rolling thunder. Uh, that is an incredibly exciting moment, and I think it inspires on a lot of levels. And I I believe that the drum is alone in its capacity to do that. If I was to bring a group of people together for a guitar lesson or a piano lesson or clarinet lesson or whatever else it might be, the cacophony that would ensue uh, I think would be quite discouraging. Now, if we worked at it and we worked at it and we worked at it, no question, we'd probably come up with something really pretty. But the accessibility of the drum is, is, uh, is, is absolutely incredible. Similarly, voice. We all have one. And unfortunately, again, contemporary musical paradigms are such that we believe our, our voices have to sound a certain way. And the voices that we hear are heavily, heavily processed, auto-tuned, compressed, uh, all kinds of uh, editing. And, and in the same way that uh, uh, the women of contemporary society might be duped by the airbrushed models on the uh, front of a magazine, uh, we are led to believe that our voices are not worth uh, sounding. And this has huge, huge implications uh, on, the, on, the, on the personal sphere, uh, at the level of self-confidence. Uh, it has political implications when you believe that your voice is not worth uh, being heard. Uh, what 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 uh, what will it take then for you to to speak up? And so, alhamdulillah wa shukrillah, we come from a tradition that emphasizes there are no controversies around the use of the drum. There is no controversy around the use of the voice. And I feel that there's incredible wisdom uh, in leveraging both drum and voice that go beyond uh, simply uh, musical. I think there are societal and political implications. I think there are communal implications. I think love is a huge implication. Um, and, and certainly, certainly uh, I have felt that in my primal music experiences with the community. You know, subhanAllah, this is a fascinating point that I think we could maybe elaborate on a little bit. Modern music, modern entertainment essentially creates uh, a cult of personality where we become passive participants in what we're essentially, we're being entertained by an artist, by a performer who's very specialized, and how culturally this leads to the loss of the voice and to disempowerment. Yet in contrast within the Islamic experience traditionally, when a group gets together and recites dhikr or plays on the drums, fundamentally it's an empowering experience. In your experience, because you're also a student of Islam and Islamic spirituality, how does the modern form of entertainment affect our spirituality, our soul, our consciousness? How does it affect us on a deeper level in contrast to the more traditional primal models? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, that's a, tough, that's a tough question for me to answer because it, it presupposes um, perhaps a level of, of, of spiritual awareness that, that um, uh, I would... I would very much like to cultivate, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm in a place that I can actually um, articulate that. But I, I have I have some ideas around uh, around uh, at least the periphery of, of what you're getting at. One of the one of the incredible facets of our path is that it is a communal one. Um, you know there there are there are other spiritual paths, for example, that emphasize uh, isolation. There are uh, methods of uh, worshiping the divine uh, that require uh, seclusion. And although those things exist in our tradition, uh, what we know uh, is is that uh, all of the all of the primary things that are asked of us, if we're talking about the the salat which of course uh, as i'm sure you've talked about in some of your um in some of your uh, previous um podcasts uh is is related to the arabic term uh sila or connection the salah is is best performed in congregation right it's best performed as a group and that that's i mean that's huge that's huge this idea of worshiping god collectively 
I, I don't know. I don't know that another that there is another path that uh, that has this at least any more than once a week, right? <clears throat> and for us, it's it's five times a day. We have this opportunity to gather with the community and worship God collectively. Similarly, we have the, um, the the month of fasting, Ramadan, where we gather with our community uh, to 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 pray the night vigil. Uh, we fast in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. Again, this this uh, uh, worship in community, uh, and 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 of course, uh, you know, the Hajj, which is beyond description in in terms of the the mass of humanity rotating around a single axis. So there's all of these uh, communal. Pres- Precedence. I, I'm not going to hazard a guess as to why uh, that is ultimately important, but for me it's enough to say that if it is this emphasized in our tradition, we really need to look at models that build on that precedent. And so practices that distract practices that distance one from the community, practices that uh, force isolation, uh, as a predominant uh, uh, mode of being, I think uh, need to be um, questioned. Uh, and, and so, so again, uh, up until 100 years ago, even on these shores, music was a communal event. You might watch performers, but you had to go somewhere to do it. And it might be a ball, or it might be a dance, or it might be uh, uh, you know, any number, a, a wedding, uh, any number of uh, festivities, but you had to go somewhere in community to participate in that. And we've gone, we've gone so far from that. And this, 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 this can't be dismissed. This is not a small thing. Uh, anybody that's hip to uh, Roman governance, uh, which is a... Um, Certainly, a principle that we see uh, made use of in um, widely in the world is this, this idea of bread and circus. This idea of if you feed the people and you entertain the people, they will not concern themselves with matters of state. This is uh, this has worked really, really well, and the isolating experience of music as it is enjoyed today. Uh, is yet another example of another uh, Roman principle of governance, which is divide and conquer. So you have these two very, very powerful uh, time-tested methods of keeping people quiet uh, that are that are manifest in today's entertainment industry, uh, more perhaps more so in the music industry than anywhere else. And I think we have a huge obligation to recognize that and really fight for models that absolutely destroy those paradigms. SubhanAllah, that's a very interesting. Would you say that the communal experience is a solution or maybe a method for the collective to subdue uh, the self or ego consciousness? Because with the whole phenomenon of the cult of personality, it allows or opens the door for the ego to be fed via the attention, via the worship from the audience. Could you maybe say a little bit about this phenomenon, the cult of personality? Uh, I did a little bit of research and I found that it is a political one where it places a figure or a central figure to be the uh, solution for a transformation in society, uh, a figure that is worshipped by the masses. And subhanAllah, we see that today. We see that in uh, mass media, we see that on TV, we see in music. Uh, examples would be that of American Idol. We see many musicians that are emulated by people uh, to the point where some people will go as far as getting plastic surgery to become that, uh, uh, that person or that musician or that artist. So from your experience or your point of view, could you elaborate a little bit more about this phenomenon and say a little bit about its place in today's realm of art and music? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be overly dismissive of the importance of positive role models. Right. So, you know, I was I was talking with a friend who is an incredible singer um uh, he's just listening to him is 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 one of my great joys and and it will always be a great joy as long as he is uh, able to uh, perform 
And I don't want to lose an opportunity to hear him by by forcing him to blend his voice with the crowd such that I can no longer identify uh, with him and or identify him. Uh, and, and I was asking him about this, and, and, you know, we both came to the conclusion that the virtuoso uh, is just as necessary as, as, as anything else. In other words, we always, we always need something to aspire to. So if there is if there is a downside in in consciously focusing on collective or communal efforts, um, we need we need to recognize that the the common denominator uh, is often not representative of our highest potential. So while while we've spent a lot of time talking about the egalitarian nature of communal music and 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 that's very 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 real we don't want to dismiss the fact that there are people in the world that can lead us to to still greater vistas by virtue of their singular talents now as with anything uh, there has to be balance, and alhamdulillah wa shukrillah, you know, our way is known uh, as the middle way. So I don't want to polarize the conversation by saying that you know communal music versus you know uh, uh, watching an artist perform. You know that one is inherently uh, better than the other. Again, it all comes down to to context. What I will say is that we're having this discussion in a very polarized context. That is, that is to say that communal music has been essentially eradicated from the, uh, from the Western landscape, at least here in America. Uh, and so, so, so to get back to your points of the, of the cult of personality, uh, that is a very, very real consideration in our current times. Uh, the idea that the man would be greater than than his message uh, is something that we have to be very very careful of, and all of this is aided and abetted by by modern communication. In other words, before the advent of the internet and and telecommunication and so on and so forth, celebrity was was really hard to come by. In other words, a great man was necessarily that person whose works and efforts were so great as to have affected so many legions of people that he thereby came to be known. In today's day and age, all you have to do is get somebody's name out. He doesn't necessarily have to have any, any, any substantial body of work behind him. His name is enough. And it's easy enough to shuttle around that name that the name alone begins to force an imagination uh, uh, to construct an idea of greatness around, uh, around that name. That's really, really something that we have to be mindful of. So in today's climate, Forcing a communal agenda, I think, is important as a kind of uh, balancing proposition. But we need to be we need to be careful that we're not uh, we're not we're not polarizing uh, the experience of uh, of communal music. I want to speak just briefly a little bit about content and the nature of the content that's produced, particularly in modern Western culture, versus perhaps content that's been produced historically, especially within our Islamic culture, a lot of the music that we are now fed and consume consistently is generally produced by individuals that are often very unenlightened. The content itself is generally filled with a lot of drama, and perhaps most importantly, the complete and total absence of any mention of or remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator, the divine force. Historically in Islam, the mention of Allah pervades every aspect of our lives. And the Prophet ﷺ said that any gathering in which the mention of Allah is absent is a dead gathering. What is the effect of opening ourselves to entertainment, to music in the modern world, which is completely lacking remembrance and awareness of God, any type of gratitude, any type of presence with regards to the Divine Creator, what is the effect of that on the individual psyche, especially when coupled with the principle of entrainment in which the individual, the passive listener, is much more susceptible to programming and absorbing 
the paradigm that's being impressed upon them. Alhamdulillah wa shukrillah. You know, I, I, I have been asked why I'm, I'm a Muslim and, um, you know, I, I don't, um, I'm not real good when it comes to articulating uh, metaphysics and, and, you know, but, but here, here, here's the deal. Islam pulls absolutely no punches when it comes to describing humanity. And, and some of our greatest challenges as Muslims is that we approach the world from an aesthetic place that has us viewing ourselves in perhaps um, an idealized light. And, and we have our tradition to, to, to show us up. We have our tradition that points out the realities of human experience, and oftentimes they don't jibe with the sort of utopian experiences that we wish uh, was the human condition. And the reason I'm prefacing my comments with that is we are characterized, humanity is characterized in the Islamic tradition, we are called slaves. We are called slaves. In fact, we aspire to a state of slavehood, or in the Arabic, ubudiyah, right? And we have to recognize that this idea of us being slaves is true whether or not we acknowledge a higher power. In other words, we are going to be tied to something. And what Islam gives us is the opportunity to be intentional about our slavehood and to tie ourselves to something greater before we are tied to something lesser. This is, this is the first point. The second point is that perhaps the greatest of spiritual practices, uh, greatest in terms of the emphasis uh, that it has within our religion, and, and greatest in terms of the effects that it has upon the practitioner, Perhaps the, 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 the greatest uh, uh, practice in, in our faith is that of dhikr, uh, that of remembrance. Uh, this idea of constantly reminding oneself through litanies or through actions or through cultivated awareness of one's slavehood, one's intentional slavehood, towards one's uh, uh, higher power. So there's this idea of, of, of dhikr or remembrance. And there's this idea of slavehood or ubudiyah. If we are not intentional about how we approach dhikr and ubudiyah, if we are not intentional about how we approach remembrance or slavehood, then we must realize as a necessary uh, um, uh, reality of the human experience that remembrance will be made in spite of us, and slavehood will be enforced in spite of us. We will not be a party to what it is we are remembering. We will not be a party to what it is uh, that we have uh, been enslaved to. And this, this is ultimately uh, the role of the entertainment industry today. This is what happens when we approach uh, music and, and television and just about anything without a conscious intention behind it. That remembrance, whatever the messages are, will be absorbed, that will frame the experience of our slavehood, and we will find ourselves, if we are gifted with the opportunity of waking up, and unfortunately the reality is many of us will not have that gift, but one day we may find that we have wasted a lot of time. We have wasted a lot of time paying homage and allegiance to things and ideas and practices that debase our nature. That, uh, uh, Brother Ahsan, I believe is ultimately the effect that we have to be the most conscious about uh, when it comes to opening up our, our ears and our eyes and our hearts to anything uh, without conscious awareness. SubhanAllah. What practical suggestions might you have, Ahmed, for the average listener out there to begin rediscovering and reclaiming their personal power as well as their spiritual light when it comes to music, entertainment? What would you suggest for them in terms of activities they could participate in or even activities that they might want to avoid? How to cultivate maybe perhaps greater awareness and consciousness with regards to what they allow into their psyche? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great question. Um, I remember when I was in college, I used to go on what I used uh, I called uh, media fasts. Uh, that's really now this was this was pre internet, uh, and it was it was it was easier and pre smartphone, and it was it was definitely a lot easier. Um, uh, and and so what this entailed is not watching television, not listening to the radio, and I would try that for twenty four hours. Or, or 48 or, or 72. Uh, and I would gradually push that out. Um, I was somebody that spent a lot of time making music uh, and, and, uh, and, and moving, uh, um, getting music out of my life was a necessary first step in rediscovering what it could be. Um, I facilitated that through these media fasts and when those got to be a little um, uh, 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 challenging, when the desire to listen to something came up, I might listen to something like uh, classical music that didn't have any lyrical content, or else maybe world music that had lyrical content that I couldn't understand. And in that way, I began to distance myself from the messages and just focus in on some of the musical modalities that were being employed by uh, different cultures uh, and at different times in our history. So that would be my recommendation. Practice going without music uh, for for an extended period of time. Set a little challenge for yourself. Um, I, you know, I, I don't I don't feel like there's any there's any greater enemy to our consciousness than a television set. Um, I'm not sure if we're allowed to say that on Soul of Islam, uh, but if if you uh, if you really want to take an amazing uh, 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 step in your personal uh, spiritual recovery, uh, please consider removing that thing uh, from your home uh, and 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 uh, and give it some time. Give it some time, and uh, what what happens when you start thinking for yourself can be scary at first. Uh, but it gives way to incredible beauty, and it will drive you, uh, brothers and sisters. It will drive you to community. Uh, it will absolutely drive you to community. So those are those are some practical suggestions. Inshallah, Taala, wa bilahi tawfiq. Brother Ahmed, before we uh, conclude this episode, would you mind uh, doing a supplication, a short du'a that uh, I myself and Brother Hassan and all the listeners can join you with? أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم يا الله يا أرحم الراحمين يا حي يا قيوم يا الله we ask you يا الله that you bless protect and forgive us we ask you يا الله that you bless protect and forgive our parents and our families يا الله we ask that you bless protect and forgive the scholars of this faith Ya Allah, we ask that you bless, protect, and forgive the dead and the dying amongst us. Ya Allah, we ask that you bless, protect, and forgive those who are sick and suffering throughout the world. O Allah, we ask that you guide us to you through every human experience that you open. We ask you, Ya Allah, that you take our talents and our inclinations and you dispose us such that we strive to please you through those gifts that you have given us. We ask you, Ya Allah, that you ennoble us with your lights and that you prevent us, O Allah, from darkening this path with our darkness. Ya Allah, Ya Rahman Rahimin, we ask you for shade on the day where there will be no shade. We ask you, Ya Allah, Ya Rahman Rahimin, to unite us in the garden, to drink from the hand of our blessed Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. O oh Allah, we ask that you bless Brother Ahmed Saqamini and Brother Ihsan Turabi, those who have gifted us with this incredible podcast, with continued tawfiq, that you increase them in sincerity, that you increase them in persistence, and that you continue to guide us through their Mubarak work. Ya Allah, Ya Rahman Rahimin, in these difficult times, Ya Allah, we ask you to make our path clear. We ask you to eradicate confusion with the pure and beautiful simplicity of your way and that you grant us the courage and the bravery to persist in that way. 
اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم آمين بارك الله فيك أخي أحمد for that beautiful dua may Allah bless you and reward you for sharing your experience your knowledge your wisdom with us and the listeners may Allah bless you with your work and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala surround you and your family and our entire community with his light Amen. Thank you so much for being part of Soul of Islam Radio, and inshallah, we would like to have you in the near future. Inshallah. Brother Ahmed. This has been an enlightening episode with us, and thank you to all the listeners tuning in. May Allah bless you, Brother Ahmed, your family as well, and your work, and inshallah, keep us all on Surat al-Mustaqim. And bless all of our listeners, inshallah, to grow in strength and in light and in faith and in himma and in awareness and in intention. This brings us to the end of this episode. Alhamdulillah wa shukrullah and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your continued love and support. To learn more about Brother Ahmed Bierstorf, you can visit his blog at sans5.com. That's S-A-N-S-F-I-F-E.com. We'll make sure to provide you with links in the episode summary Uh, you can also find those links on our website at soulofislamradio.com. We would also like to mention that uh, Brother Ahmed Pierstov had recently released an EP titled What They Took. And we just learned that it is available for free on sans5.com. Please uh, continue supporting the Soul of Islam Radio by liking us on Facebook, subscribing to this podcast on iTunes, giving us a review and recommending to your family and friends. For more information and if you feel inspired to support this work, you can make a donation on our website at soulofislamradio.com. To learn more about us and our projects, you can visit my website at ahmedsakmini.com and Ihsan's website at ihsanalexander.com. And with that... May the peace, the mercy, the blessings, and the light of the divine be upon you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.